Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. So we are pretty much done with the section of texts that we've been in, in the, for the past few weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, this missionary discourse, as scholars call it, which means we're pretty much done with the topic of discipleship, right? No. Not in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's always going to point back to what it's like to be a disciple of Jesus and how disciples of Jesus are supposed to act and interpret things. After today, though, we really leave the intense missionary discourse that we have been in for the past few weeks and move into my favorite subject in the Bible, parables. Last week, you'll remember we were in chapter 10, and you might have noticed that for the past few weeks, we have been moving straight through the gospel, 9, 10, and now we're in Matthew 11, but notice in your, in your um, bulletins that we are all over the place in Matthew 11. They, the lectionary has deleted verses, has me flipping around. That's why I read it on my iPad today, because the, sit here up here and try to figure out where I'm supposed to go next, I, it takes forever, and we still be reading the gospel, and I probably would skip over the wrong verses. Whenever the lectionary does this, I always feel like my three-year-old son, Isaiah, when you tell him, Isaiah, don't you dare do that. And what's he do? Yep. <laughs> Watch me. Come at me, old man. We skip over a great deal of verses today, and I think we really need those verses to understand the entire context of what Jesus is saying and why he is saying these things. I'm always interested in the verses we always skip over. So I thought, since you know I'm the pastor and I get to do whatever I want sometimes, at least with the sermon, I thought we'd spend some time looking at these skipped over verses, right? Pastor Diane's back here like, yeah, you don't get to do that any other time, so to do what you want, but it's all right. So let's look at Matthew 11, verse 1. This verse you never hear read in any, in any of our lectionary texts, in any, any time during the lectionary season. And it's simply because it doesn't make any sense to read in the church setting. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach them to claim his message in their cities. This isn't really relevant to what we're doing in worship. We're not studying the text like we would in a Bible study. A sermon is really a talking about how does this text impact me? And you don't really need to know that Jesus is leaving one area to go to another area. That's just simply a text, something good to talk in Bible study, but it's really just not necessary for worship. Matthew 11, 2 to 11, we already heard read to us. Back in December, on the third Sunday in Advent, this was a text appointed for the day. And it's a text where John questions, John the Baptist questions Jesus' Messiahship as to whether Jesus is, as to whether Jesus is the one to whom John prophesied would actually come and be the Messiah. And Jesus, a little angry, he tells his disciple, John's disciples who come and ask him this. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. 
and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And then in the text, things get a little bit violent, which is probably why the lectionary committee has pastors skip over that. Whether it's because they're worried that pastors would say the wrong thing or because pastors really don't want to talk about this kind of stuff, I don't know. But I'm going to read it to you anyway because I'm the pastor. Matthew writes, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, he, being John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. While these words conjure up some very disturbing imagery, they also, though, set up for us the scene for our appointed reading, our appointed pericope for this morning. On the surface, it seems like Jesus is really upset with the crowd when we read this, our gospel without any of this context, that he is embracing his inner grumpy old man past persona. But knowing the context of Matthew 11, we know that Jesus isn't really so much upset with the crowd, but he's more upset with his cousin, John the Baptist, for questioning his messiahship. Jesus says, to what do I compare this generation? Because of the questioning by John, I really think Jesus is upset with anyone who questions his messiahship, who questions the fact that the messiah would be anything but a warrior leading God's people into battle to take down the tyrants that oppress them. And then we skip over another portion of the text, verse 20 to 24, which involved Jesus apparently cursing two or three, depending on how you interpret what Jesus is saying, two or three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. He curses them because they have rejected him, just like John the Baptist has questioned his messiahship. And we're really at this point getting a really conflicted message from Jesus. Should we be frustrated with people who reject Jesus' message? Or should we show them grace and love, turn the other cheek, right? The answer to that question is really in all on how you read the Bible. You know, rejection is a lot easier to do than, accept, than acceptance. Anger is a lot easier of an emotion to have than, say, love. Love takes work and patience. It takes work to love my wife sometimes. It takes her probably twice as much work to love me. Love takes work. Anger, man, it's easy to be angry at anybody, right? Oh, they're a bunch of idiots, right? You can just say that, and, and it's easy to say that, but it's hard to say, you know, I love you. It's the hardest thing to say when a couple is first dating to one another. I love you, right? Love takes work and patience. Anger and rejection are very easy to do because it takes really little to no work on our part. So to find love and acceptance Grace and mercy in this passage, it takes a little bit of work. It takes a little bit of digging. And really to find it, we need to look at the big picture of Matthew's gospel. The big picture of Matthew has it's taken into account, has to be taken into account in reading Matthew 11. Remember back in January when we had the Beatitudes as part of our, our text for Sunday mornings, um, I said, whenever we get into this, these really difficult passages in Matthew's gospel, we always need to remember the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is grace 
even in a passage largely dominated by woe and frustration. Because everything that Matthew does and says in the Gospel of Matthew is built upon the foundation of the Beatitudes. You know, my brothers and sisters, sometimes it feels like people will reject anyone whom God sends. Some days as a disciple of Jesus, when you're going out and trying to evangelize and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, it feels like you're talking to a wall. And there are some days when the walls of this church do more work than the disciples of Jesus do in spreading the gospel. Some days. Some days. It really feels like you've got nothing left to give the world. Because the world has tied your hands and they have beat you to the point where it hurts to talk, where it hurts to tell the good news. I get what Jesus is saying here in verse 18 and 19. You try to do everything right and your best is never good enough. After 11 years of ministry, I have realized that there are some people who are just angry with me and will never like me. Even if I brought Jesus back from heaven down here this week, I'm sure there'll be someone who would say, and please forgive me, Miss Turley, but I'm sure there'll be someone who would say, you know, Pastor Turley would have brought him back even sooner and a lot better, right? <laughs> they would have done it faster. There are always someone who will who will reject you, not listen to you, or even worse, make fun of you. And that is really the hardest part, right? Because, you know, when we were younger, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt. That's the biggest lie that we tell kids, I think, sometimes. Because there are days as a pastor, I wish someone would just come in and punch me in the face. You don't like me? Come punch me in the face. Because that will heal and wounds. But sometimes people just say things to you, right? And it, and it eats at your soul for years to come. There are, there are things that people said to me in my first call that still keep me up late at night, that I still worry about and wish I could have done things differently. And I haven't served Mount Joy, St. Paul, for a good old six, seven years. After the cursing and the woes, our Lord prays. At first it sounds a bit condescending, this prayer that we have read before us today, but it really isn't. The reason for Jesus' prayer is the fact that even after Jesus has said all these woes about Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, he asks his Father not to bring wrath to them, but that God reveal this hidden message to them. That Jesus is the Messiah, the one who can save them and us from our sin. There is a lot of hope in this prayer from Jesus. Jesus has hoped that all is not lost for these people and that there is time for them to radically reorient themselves back to God through Jesus Christ. In reading this gospel, I've realized that Jesus isn't out to bring fire and damnation to anyone. That's the world's job. That's the devil's work. God is not in the business of punishing you, but is rather in the business of blessing you. Remember what Jesus says in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. The culmination of Matthew 11 is not in the woes, but it's really found in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 28 does not say, come to me, you who are fine and got nothing to worry about. That's who I want as my followers of Jesus. 
Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The reason Jesus calls those blessed in the Beatitudes is because they are suffering. So think about Jesus' word then in the confines of come to me, you who are weary. Come to me, you who you parents who just want school to start because your kids are driving you nuts, and I will give you rest. That's where I'm at right now. I take a lot of comfort in the fact that Jesus will bring school back sooner rather than later. <laughs> or about come to me, you who are overworked and underpaid, and I will give you rest. There's a labor crisis in our country and world right now. That speaks a lot to those suffering. Or how about come to me, you who are suffering with sickness and hardship, and I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are worried about your future and your family or your future, our future here at Zion. Because there's a lot of things to worry about, right, in this world today. But Jesus says, I will give you rest. Come to me, you who have lost loved ones, lost sons and daughters, lost your faith, lost your way, lost your job, lost your hope, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That as you work day in and day out to further the kingdom of God, there is hope, there is life, there is rest for you, even when the world is punishing you and crushing you. Even in the midst of these difficult days of being a disciple, even in the midst of pandemics and wars between superpowers, even in the midst of exhaustion, discipleship still happens. The work of the church continues on, and Jesus is here with the strength to bear you in his arms, to share the load that none of us can bear. Many of y'all don't know this, but on our little altar right here, there's a little wooden cross. It's a crucifix. And we keep this on this altar facing the pastors, facing us, as a reminder to why we are doing what we are doing. That as pastors, our job is to point people to the crucified and risen Christ. A crucifix best represents Matthew 11. It shows us a weary man who is carrying a huge burden on his shoulders, and even in the midst of that very hopeless situation, when Jesus was at his weakest, God came and brought hope and life back to him. The cross, the crucifix, is a symbol of our hope. That even in the midst of whatever trial you're facing, whatever cross you might be bearing this day, God will help and bring you hope. As disciples, the greatest gift we might be able to give each other today, I think, is a break. A rest from this weary and tiring work as disciples. As Matthew reminded us early on in Advent, Jesus bears the name of the one promised by the prophet Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us this day, my friends. Can you feel our Lord's presence in this place? Why don't you take a moment and take a deep breath in and breathe in the spirit of our Lord. And I want you to do that a little bit later today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and keep doing it each and every day. Breathe in the spirit. For our Lord is with you. He has placed a yoke around your shoulders and he will carry you wherever you might need to go whenever it's necessary.